praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, amen. It's good to be back uh, with you guys today. Good to be back in the pulpit. It's been a month uh, for me since I've had an opportunity to stand here, but it's been really cool to see what the Lord's been doing over the last few weeks. Amen? And if you're, if you're part of this church family, it is uh, just amazing how the Spirit is moving, what we're seeing Him do. He is continuing to do this. We're keeping the baptismal out and open because there's more people that are going to be baptized today. Uh, and that's going to continue. There's just a string of people that the Lord is saving and calling to Himself. And so we're, we feel like we're just caught up in this wind, this whirlwind of grace. And so we're just asking for more and more grace. We've been praying for this for a long time, for the Spirit to just pour Himself out on us and to see Him awaken people to the gospel. And that's what He is continuing to do. So I am uh, just thrilled by the fact that we are uh, getting to be a part of this and that you're getting to be a part of this and see and experience what God is actually doing. Uh, so we are in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to wrap up Ephesians this Sunday and next Sunday, and we'll wrap up that entire letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And so I, uh, I'll invite you to open your Bibles to be with me there today. There's lots of places that we're going to be in. Uh, we're going to go to a lot of different scriptures as we uh, kind of travel through this today. Uh, but I want you to be uh, with me here in Ephesians chapter uh, 6 uh, today. So we covered a lot of the weapons of warfare um, uh, the whole armor of God that we've covered before we got into our last four weeks of, of different things that we've done. And, um, and so why do we have on this weapons of warfare? What is it that Paul says in uh, verse 13 that why do we need to have on this weapons of warfare? What does it say in the scripture? Look at verse 13 in your Bible. Why does he say we need to have on this wep these weapons of warfare? Yeah, that we may, be, we may be able to withstand in the evil day. That we may be able to withstand the days that are around us, the things that are coming at us in the evil day. And so we've talked about some different things uh, about what this armor may look like uh, uh, throughout our time. We first talked about the belt of truth. Uh, we preached about that. Paul wrote about the belt of truth. And so truth is so important, uh, as, especially in today's world, where everybody has their own truth. Well, truth is either true or it's not true. You don't get to have your own truth, and I get to have my own truth, and then over here, you, this section has their own truth. That's not the way truth works. Truth is truth, or it's not the truth. See what I'm saying? That's profound. Uh, you can write that down. That's one of those, you should write that down in case you forget it. But truth is truth. There's not my own truth or your own truth. And that's, again, that's what our culture will tell us today. But the truth is, the truth is the truth. We'll keep going because I'm going to get in a circle, a circular argument here that I can't get myself out of. Uh, then he talked about putting on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness that covers our heart, the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so righteousness comes by no other. We don't get righteousness through our good deeds. We don't get righteousness by going through rituals. If you've grown up in some type of 
uh, a religious uh, organization or maybe some type of church that teaches you that righteousness comes from any other way other than through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, then you've been taught and told wrongly. Righteousness only comes through faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. He imputes his righteousness, which means he gives us all his righteousness through faith in him. You tracking with me, church? If you are, just nod your head like this. Give me a bobblehead. Come on. Yep. All right. There we are. Uh, and then it says that we put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. That's an interesting thing, the way he talks about that, because the gospel of peace says that we should live at peace with one another, especially as Christians. As Christians, we shouldn't be the people who are stirring the pot. Any pot stirrers in here? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I see you, Miss Judy. Yeah. Uh, it, as Christians, we're not called to be pot stirrers. We're called to put on the gospel. We're, we're called to put on the uh, shoes of the gospel of peace. And so, if I've got friction between me and you, or if I've got tri- friction between me and somebody over here, then we're called to because we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Who are we to have enmity? or troubles with people in a, in a horizontal way. That makes sense, church? If, we, if the God of the universe is okay with this jacked up dude, who in the world am I to have trouble with you? And so we're called to have peace with one another. As Christians, that should be a hallmark of who we are as, as followers of Jesus, that there should be peace between us. Then we talked about the shield of faith. That we should carry the shield of faith because it will quench the fiery darts of the devil. So you got to think about warfare. What happens in, in, in warfare, especially back when you think about times that they were writing in? What would they remember? Remember the movie 300? We talked about this briefly. Remember the movie in 300 where uh, they, they shot all those darts and the sky kind of got darkened above them and they all put their what, put their what up? Yeah, they put their shields up and all those darts just hit the shield. And it didn't kill them. It didn't go into their skin. It didn't go into their flesh. It stopped them with the shield. And and I always think about that when I read this text. So we are called to put on the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the devil that he will inevitably shoot at us. And then we put on the helmet of salvation that protects our mind, that we know that we we belong to Jesus, that he is ours and and we are his. And that covers us in knowing, uh, knowing that we belong to him, that we are uh, a child of God. And then the scripture talked about having the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now look, I know that uh, sometimes it's hard to read the Bible. I, I get it. Sometimes it's hard to get in that habit of reading the Bible, but the scripture, Paul tells us that the sword of the spirit is the word of God, is an offensive weapon for us to know, an offensive and a defensive weapon for us to know the word of God so that we can defend the faith, so that we can stand firm in what it is, so that we'll have a weapon. So when we are attacked or or people come at us, we have something to come back with. We're not swinging the Bible. Now, I I could take my big Bible and clop you upside the head, and it might might knock a couple of you out. Um, But the reality is that's metaphorically saying that we should know the word. We should know the gospel. We should be familiar with this because this is our weapon to fight our enemy. Whenever the enemy comes at us, we come back with Scripture. We come back with saying, no, but the Word of God says. No, but the Word of God tells me. No, I don't believe that lie, but the Word of God says this. You with me, church? So that's what the Scripture teaches us, and that's what we've talked about when Paul was, read, was, was writing to the church and talking about the, um, 
uh, the armor of God that you put on. And then the last piece of the weapon of, of spiritual warfare is today, and it is prayer. Prayer. Let me ask you this question. How do you pray? Just think about that for just a moment. How do you pray? What's your prayer life like? You just examine it. What's your prayer life like? What have your, what's your prayer life been like lately? I, uh, I've been watching this uh, Netflix series uh, called Last Chance You. Anybody watch that? It's an older one, Last Chance You, and it's about, I played junior college football down in Mississippi, and it's about a junior college football team at Jones uh, Community, I, I mean, at uh, uh, East Mississippi Community College, and it's a fantastic, I mean, it's literally, that's, that's the way it is, it, that, is that is no lie, that is, that's the way it happens in junior college, and, um, uh, it, and it's called Last Chance You, and, and it talks about, uh, and it's funny because it, it, in, in athletics, you know, before you pray, many people say the Lord's Prayer, and it's like just a mumbling through the Lord's Prayer, you know. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, the will be done on earth. He's heaven, give us the day. Every day we give our church, we give those church, Christ against us. Please not to the day, give us the day. Yeah, let's go. Let's go hit somebody. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's the way the prayer goes in, in, in football huddles, and that's the way it goes on that way. And sometimes, I would dare say that may be the way your prayer life is. It's rote. It's the same thing over and over again. Whenever you pray, you say the same words over and over again, and it's just become a mundane uh, repeating words over and over again. Uh, we would, when I was growing up in my grandmother's house, we would uh, get together and we would say, God is great for our, uh, for our blessing over the food. You know that one, right? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we are fed. Thank you, God, for daily bread. Amen. You know, and we, it, it's just rote and repetitious. That's not prayer. The Lord's Prayer was never really intended for us to just say that over and over again. Jesus said whenever you pray, he would say, pray like this. He was giving us a way to pray. We've covered that here, and we've talked about that here at Refuge before. That This is a model prayer to, to model your prayer, not to say the same words, but to give you some ideas in different areas that you should be praying for. So we don't want our prayers to be rote or repetitious or redo the same things over and over again. What we need to do and what God calls us to do whenever, whenever Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and he's talking about this last piece of this armor, of this, uh, this piece whenever we're fighting our enemy, whenever we're engaged in a, in a battle with our enemy, he is telling us that we need to earnestly contend for our families. Moms, dads, grandparents, you should earnestly contend for your family while you pray. You should pray specifically for your family, specifically for your children, specifically for your spouse, specifically for other people in your family. Maybe they don't know Jesus. But you should pray for your family. You should pray for your faith to be bolstered. I, I pray for that regularly, that I will believe more, that I will believe more earnestly, that my faith will be increased, that, he will, that the Spirit will help my faith to be increased through whatever situation that I might be in the middle of, help my faith to be increased. You should pray for your fears, the things that you're, that you're scared of. Okay, are you, anybody scared of stuff? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes fear comes in. Scripture tells us over and over again, Jesus over and over again. What, was it, what were two words that he would say? Fear not. 
And he would give you a reason not to be fearful. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that and I have to pray for the Lord to not help me be fearful over a specific situation or in a specific thing that might be going on in my life. We have to pray for the fight that we're in. We're in a battle. We're in a, that's what Paul was writing this specific thing for and talking about the armor because we're in a spiritual battle. And so we need to pray for faith. You need to pray for the faith in the battle that you're in. To, help, to ask the Spirit to help you gird you up in the way that you're going to fight this battle for the things that we preach about, for all this armor that we need to, to help you put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the, and the shoes of the gospel of peace and the, and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. To pray for the fight. And then we need to earnestly contend for the things of God, that our desires should be for the things of God. I want you to listen to this because this is very important. Prayer is to align us with God's purposes, not just to have a list of our wants. When you think back to your prayers now, when you think back to the way you pray, is your prayer life just a list of what you want God to do for you? The truth is, prayer is is much, much more about aligning, asking the Spirit to align ourselves with the desires of, that God would have for us. Instead of saying, God, give me, give me, do this for me, do this for me, I need you to do this, that, and the other, God, align me with your Spirit, align me with your work. What are the things that you would have me do? How is it that you would have me handle this situation? Well, would you change my heart to handle this, that, or the other in this particular way? Aligning my heart with God's purposes. So how do we understand what uh, Paul means in verse 18? Look what he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Let's look about what Jesus had to say about prayer. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter six, verses five through eight. That's where we're gonna go to. Matthew chapter six, verses five through eight. I'll have these on, on the screen, but I want you to go with me in your Bible because I'm gonna want you to underline and see some things that Jesus said in Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, here's what uh, Jesus says. He's talking about prayer. He said, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You must not be like the hypocrites. Let's, look, let's go on and underline some things so that we'll uh, get what we're looking for. You must not be like the hypocrites. For, why is he saying this? Why is he telling us not to be like the hypocrites? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corner. Why? That they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they, and it's implied, already have received their reward. Let's look at that again. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Remember what a hypocrite is? Hypocrite is somebody who puts on a different face. You know some people, I know some people that no matter what crowd they're in, they just, they just morph to different things. They just morph to different people. They can put on a different mask for whatever group they're a part of. They can, that, that, and a hypocrite, is that, that's what that is. It's like a, uh, it's an acting term. So if I'm here and, and I'm going to play a different part, I would put on a mask and I would show a different mask because I'm playing something different. It means I'm a hypocrite. I'm not who I, I seem to be. And so Paul says, whenever we pray, let's don't be like the hypocrites that change all the time. 
He says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Think about that. As I pray, I'm using a lot of eloquent words. I'm using a lot of flowery language. I'm wanting to say, I want you to say at the end of my prayer, man, preacher, that was a good prayer. You know what I'm saying? That that's my goal, and for you to say that to me because I pray with some flowery language or something that is just boisterous and, and sounds very spiritual. He says, don't do that. That's not the way we do that. He said, truly I to say to you, they, the people that do that, have received their reward. So he says, don't just show off when you pray like the hypocrites, but do pray earnestly to your heavenly father. If you need to pray, and you do, we do, pray earnestly, asking, be honest. You don't have to use the king's English to pray to the Lord. He understands just regular good old southern English. Okay? He understands all our dialects. He understands if you're from Ukraine. He understands if you're from somewhere south of the border. Yes, he got that. Whatever. Amen. He's saying don't use a lot of meaningless words, a lot of empty words and language whenever you pray. God knows what you need. Just be honest with it. Just be honest in your prayers whenever you talk to the Lord. There was, a, uh, there was a movie called Three Amigos. Anybody remember Three Amigos movie? Yeah. You know, they, uh, they, were, they were three actors, and so they, would, they were like, we are the three amigos. <laughs> you know, that, that was their thing. And, and so they were, uh, they were called in to come and face, you know who it was? El Guapo. Yeah. El Guapo. And so they thought that they were part of this, you know, movie scene. And so they were just acting along the way and they were riding their horses in circles, you know, shooting their guns in the air. Hi, hi, hoo-hoo, you know, that whole thing. And then they shot real bullets at them. And they're like, oh my goodness, we're like in a real fight here. And so I use that as an example to say, we're not in a show. We're not in a movie. The battle that you and I fight is a real battle. It's not a show. The life following Jesus, being a Christian, being a Christ follower is a real thing, that we, is a real battle that we, enter our, that we enter into. It's not a show. And so because it's a real thing, because the battle that we're in is a real battle, that's why Paul talks about this armor of God. He also talks about some other things that you need to see. Let me get back to where we need to be. Uh, sorry. I don't know where I am here. Sorry. Um, Proverbs 15. There we go. Here we go. Sorry. Proverbs 15.29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. If you, are a, if you are a Christian, then you need to pray. Prayer needs to be an essential part of the life that you live on a, on a regular basis. I'm not talking about just before you go to bed at night. I'm talking about it, we should be and live in a sense of prayer throughout the day, throughout our lives. 
He writes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray. We do not know how to pray uh, as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Anybody ever been in a position where you just don't know what to say when you're going to pray for somebody? Like, I, I don't even know how to pray for you. I, I've said that to many people along the way just with, with things that are going on, with tragedy, with, with, with difficulties, or whatever the thing might be. And there's times that I go, brother, I don't even know how to pray for you. But you know who does know how to pray for him? The Spirit. And so we trust that the Spirit intercedes, even carries our desires of our hearts without us being able to speak it out loud. He intercedes on our behalf and prays on our behalf. And so wouldn't it make sense that we trust the Spirit when we pray? That we ask the Spirit, what should I do? How should I pray? What are the things right now that I should be praying about, that I should, should be part of my prayer life? We, we go into something else in Philippians chapter 4. This is one of my favorite verse, set of verses. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Anybody ever feel anxious in this room? Everybody feel like you just don't know what to do, like you're just afraid. There's just times you go, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. All of us probably been in that place at some point. This was a time in my life, probably back in 2001. Some of you heard me tell the story before. I, uh, we had just had our second child. We already had Leanna. Lindsay was born. And I owned a business with a guy that was my business partner. Uh, he wasn't paying me. Uh, we got deep into debt because he wouldn't pay me. I was having to use expense checks to, you know, to pay my bills. And then all my credit cards were going up and I couldn't pay my mortgage. So I was about three months behind on my mortgage. I owed about a hundred grand on my credit cards from business expenses. Uh, I was, t and I was taking, and I had a new baby, taking to daycare. And like, I literally was pulling over on the side of the road and throwing up because I really thought I was just about to sink my family. And didn't know what I was going to do. And somebody pointed me to these verses from the scriptures. And it says, be anxious about nothing. And I'm like, whew, nothing? How about this? This is, a, this is a situation to be anxious about. The scripture said, be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so I'm like, okay. And so I start just pouring my heart out to God. I'm going, God, I, this is what I need. I'm like, I'm dying over here. I, I need some help here. Specifically, I need this. I need help here. I need help here. I need help here. And, and if you don't intervene here, we're not going to make it. And then the next verse says what it says. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, regards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I can't tell you. I bet I've prayed this and claimed these two verses uh, thousands of times that's that's no exaggeration thousands of times i would wake up in the middle of the night fearful scared to death sit up straight in my bed heart pounding over what what's about to happen and i would say i would literally say god you said these things you said that this is what you would do 
You said to pour my heart out to you. You said that, but with, that if I'm, I, and I'm thankful for what you're going to do, God, and, and here's my request. I, I, I've got to have this. And then you said that the peace of God would guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. You said you would give me that peace. I'm telling you, just like he promised. It's like a, the peace of God would come over me and I'd go back to sleep. Now, I might sleep for two hours and wake up again, and the same thing happened all over again, and I would just go through the same thing over and over again, and I would say, God, you said that this would happen. I'll take those two hours, but this, now I'm anxious again, and I did that time and 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 time again. And I've shared that same thing with many of you who've come to me with angst, with anxiety and, and places like that, and God was faithful to do these things faithful to what he said he would do. Prayer, so critical. James chapter 5, verse 13 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. You know what's cheerful? Let him sing praise. He says, when we're suffering, that's not the time to run away from God. Some of you are suffering in here. There's no doubt in this room, or if you're watching, some of you are suffering. It's inevitable that we can't meet with this many people and someone not be in the middle of something that is difficult for you. What does the scripture say that you should do? Let him pray. Let him pray. Maybe you're in the, on the opposite side of that. And, and, and you're just in a good place. And you're zippity-doo dying your way through life right now. He says for you to, be, you to sing praise. In the middle of your difficulty, he says, let, let, let us pray together. Don't neglect that. James chapter 5 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. Uh, the, the old version of that says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's how, that's how I memorized it. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Says the same thing. The effectual prayer. The prayer that we are longing, that we are pouring ourselves out to, that we are asking God to do something. Fervent prayer means sometimes we are, we are groaning, begging God to do some things. He says, those kinds of prayer do lots of things. Availeth much makes things happen, that God hears us. He wants us to pray. He wants us to barrage his throne room and to find grace and help in our time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. To go to the throne room to, we get to go into the throne room of the king. We get to, we even have to knock on the door. We just barrage into the throne room of grace and God, God, help me. Help me. I need you right now. I need your help now. Scripture says we find help in our time of need. 1 John chapter 4, verse 14 and 15 says this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, what? What does it say? Can y'all read? Is this thing on? Hello, 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 hello. 
And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, what? He hears us. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. He hears us. He wants to hear from you. If you're a follower of his, if you're one of his children, he wants to hear from you. He wants you to barrage the throne room of grace. He wants you to bring your needs to him. He wants to meet you there. He wants to hear from you. So we pray. Prayer is your weapon. You literally have access to the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. And God wants you to continue to pray and align yourself with his desires for your life. Verse 18, back to our text says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So he says, we pray at all times. So we're always in a moment of prayer. That doesn't mean that our prayer time is at X time. And you may have that, which is fine. But he says that we pray at all times. Sometimes that's driving down the road. Sometimes that's on 240, amen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't close your eyes. I just, it's, okay to, it's okay to pray with your eyes open. Uh, just, just, but, but pray so you can survive that loop. Uh, but he says pray at all times. We should be regularly ongoing interaction with prayer. Sometimes we just dial up the Lord and go, God, we got to talk like right now. In the spirit, which means that I'm not just coming with my flesh. I'm just not coming with my own desires. But what is the spirit calling me to? What is the spirit leading me to? What is the Spirit calling me to in the Spirit with prayer and supplication? You know what supplication is? I'll tell you. Supplication is asking and begging fervently. Like, if, like God, I desperately, th this is fervent. This, this is a, a picture of fervency. I desperately need this. I... I, I God, if you don't intervene here, nothing's going to happen. God, if you don't intervene in my kid's life, nothing's going to happen. This, that's, that, that feels, that's fervency. When he talks about fervency, that is, a, that is an overwhelming desire to have God act on your behalf. That's fervency. And then he goes on and says this, so praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, he says, to that end, he says three things. Let's look at those, sorry. Uh, let's look at the, what those three things are. He says, first, keep alert. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Keep alert with all perseverance, and praying for all the saints. Look what he says in first, what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8. Talking about keeping alert. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaming lion seeking someone to devour. So when Paul writes to keep alert, uh, Peter agrees with him here when he's writing and says that you're, you have an adversary and you have an enemy that would love to destroy you. And so when we pray, we need to be on alert. Hey, let me just tell you this, church. Let me tell you this, Refuge Church. With all that's happening in this church family right now, it's crazy good. Amen? Yeah. 
I mean, we've seen baptism. We're, this thing's staying out because there's more baptisms coming today. There's more baptisms coming next week. There's more baptisms coming next month. This sucker's staying out. That's what I'm talking about. And so the Lord is at hand and the Lord is working. You know who else don't want that to happen? We have an enemy. And so we're called right now, church, to be sober-minded. That means be so, that, think clearly. Think clearly, church. Be watchful. Be on guard. Looking for the enemy. Being a lookout for what might be creeping in. You think it won't be really easy for the enemy to come in and start little factions and little things between us now? Whenever the Lord is working big time like he's doing in our church, you think it wouldn't be easy for a little backbiting to start or little, thing, little petty things that happen in churches? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've been in a church before. He says, be watchful because your adversary prowls around like a roaming lion. You watch those nature shows? What do those lions do? They, they like sneaky snakes. I mean, they, I mean they, they, they're this kind of stuff, and they're like sneaking around and just waiting to pounce at the right time, and then they're just easing themselves around, and it's like, rah, you know. I mean, they, and, and it's over at that point. It's over. Once the lion gets you, bro, it's over. That's what Paul's talking about. He's like, that, that, that will happen. And he warns it. He says, keep alert. And then he says, uh, not only to keep alert, but to persevere. You back up a couple of verses uh, in 1 Peter 5. And verse 6 says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So he says, hey, man, just be humble and wait. And there's a long race for us to run. This is not things that we're, we're going to deal with this one time and then it's going to be over and we're like, woo, we won the battle and we're moving on and it's over. No, 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 no. Persevere. Long battle. Long, same direction, the long, uh, uh, slow move in the same direction. That's persevering. And then he says uh, to pray for all the saints, which means we should pray for one another. You should be praying for me. I should be praying for you. And you should be praying for one another. Look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made, be made for all people. Petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving should be made for all people. So when you pray and you pray for other people, we pray for multitudes of things for people. When somebody asks you to pray for them, for goodness sake, pray for them. Don't pull one of those religious stunts and somebody asks you to pray for them and you go, yeah, brother, I'll pray for you, and then never do it. We've all, we've all been there before. We've all done it. I'm just going to say, don't do that again. You know how I remember to do it? I pray on the spot. Like somebody says, hey, Scott, will you pray for me about X, Y, or Z? You know what I say? How about I pray for you right now? And we're going to pray right then. Because I don't want to forget I want to pray for my brother. I want to pray for my sister. I want to go to the, I want to uh, approach the throne room of grace and ask for help for my brother and sister in their time of need. To boldly go where no man has gone before. <laughs> to boldly proclaim the gospel. Look, some churches never been there before. Some churches become all about themselves. 
Some churches become about all about being closed off. Some churches become, the people in churches become all about exclusivity. And I'm going to tell you, that's not what church is about. Church is about us as being the body of Christ. Us, about being, you've heard about being the hands and feet. Yes, hands and feet of Jesus where we go and serve others. But the church is about loving and caring for one another, praying for one another on a regular basis where we intercede for one another uh, and we approach the throne room of grace for one another. You should pray for your pastors regularly. You should pray for Paul McDade, and you should pray for Blake Arnold, and you should pray for Paul Dacus, and you should pray for me regularly. Because God has appointed us into this place as elders, as, as, as under-shepherds for this church family, and you should pray for us regularly. We pray for you regularly. Please do that for us. Why should we pray for one another regularly? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 19 says, Paul says, and also for me, he says, pray uh, uh, regularly. He says, and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul was asking for supernatural power to boldly proclaim, to open his mouth and boldly say that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the only way for salvation and there's hope found only in Jesus. So what is the gospel when he says that I can boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel? The question becomes, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? The truth around some of this is, is that you, each of us, all of us included, are sinners in need of a savior. All of us. You, me, everybody that's seeing this, if you're watching it online, yes, you too. Those people that stayed home from church today and skip, you too. Uh, we're all in need, and us who are here, we all need a Savior. And God has provided the Savior through the person and work of God the Son, Jesus Christ. He calls us to abandon ourselves. Reliance on ourselves and reliance on our good works and reliance on our good deeds to abandon all those things and flee to Jesus, to run to Jesus who, who is and has done what he said he will do. John chapter 3, Jesus in, uh, encountered a man named Nicodemus. He was a ruler, he was a, a religious guy during the day, and they met at night because Nicodemus had some questions for Jesus. And Nicodemus says, Hey, what is it that I must do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said what? You must be born again. You must be born again. Now, if you're here and church is kind of new for you and you may not uh, understand some church terminology or whatever, you may be like, Jesus, uh, like uh, Nicodemus was and says, well, how can I enter back into my mother's womb and uh, I'm kind of a grown man and how can I, you know, enter back into my mother's womb and actually be born again. And Jesus was like, no, that's not what I'm talking about, bro. You know, he said, you must be born of both water and the spirit, which means you must be born physically, but you also must be born again spiritually. He says, there's got to be a new birth in you. There's got to be a new spiritual birth in you. And what that means is you don't necessarily have to understand all the aspects of it whenever you come to Jesus. You don't know ever after... Uh, understand all the aspects of eternity or what, what heaven is going to be like or none of those kind of things. You don't have to understand all of those things, but Jesus is the Savior of the world whom God the Father has provided. 
And so when you become a Christian, a Christian is not the one, is, is someone who uh, lives the way that God calls us to live. True Christianity says that I have been born again, the Spirit of God lives within me, and I have a desire to live a different life. We are transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what's happened to all these people that have been born again and became Christians over the last few weeks here. They've been born again. The Spirit of God now lives within them, and they're called to live a different way. Maybe some of you believe that whenever you're born again, that you know, you just kind of trudge through this life and, and life becomes boring and life becomes one of these religious activities and, and I just have to do, end up doing the same thing, these things that I don't want to do. Like you may have Christians that go, hey, you want to go and do this? And, and your response may be, well, I don't want to. And you're like, well, why don't you want to do and be part of this? And because it doesn't sound, it may not sound enjoyable to be a Christian. Honestly, that was me. I didn't like Christianity when I was growing up because what I saw was hypocrisy and and boredom, and lots of things like that. Well, that's not Christianity. Christianity is full of life. Christianity is a joy-filled life. That you get new life in Jesus, where my desires have changed, and my desire and love and care for people has changed. Those things become different, and, and it becomes a joy-filled life, not a trudgery in life. Whenever you change and God changes us, that is the mystery of the gospel. The gospel is a transforming reality that we now choose, Christians now choose to live for the glory of God because a Christian has a desire to live for the glory of God. So I want to ask you, if you call yourself a Christian, is the gospel a reality to you? Like, has the gospel actually changed you? Has the gospel caused you to live differently? Examine that in your life. If there's nothing different about your life from the time that before you became a Christian to the point now, after you think you've become a Christian, if there's nothing different, I would dare say you might need to re-examine that. Because you can't be filled with the Spirit of God and things not be different in your life. It's impossible. To be dead in your sins and the Spirit of God awaken you to the gospel and for you to just live the same way for the rest of your life. Well, then you may go, well, how does this mystery come about? What is this mystery? Well, as we read through the Scriptures from Genesis all the way through the end of the Bible is a story about God saving His people. From Genesis chapter 3, sin came into the world, and, by, and sin spread to all mankind, and sin brings on death, spiritual death. It says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And God knew this, and so God sent his son into the world. So God sent Jesus into the world to be born of a virgin so that he had no sin nature about him. He was, he was not conceived by man, but he was born of a virgin. God implanted Jesus, the, the seed, into a, a, a virgin's womb so that he would grow without the imputation and the sinfulness of man. And then Jesus was born and he lived a sinless life. Like he was tempted in all ways. Think about the temptations that you have. The scripture said that he was tempted in all ways, yet he did that without any sin. He was tempted in every way you've been, yet he did it without any sin. And the scripture says he willingly laid his life down as an atoning sacrifice, meaning a satisfactory sacrifice for the sin. He atoned for them. He paid for them. 
The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then the Bible also says, without the, that, that the blood of bulls and goats, all those sacrifices you read about in the Old Testament, that no, there's no blood of bulls and goats that takes away anybody's sin. Only the precious blood of Jesus takes away our sin. All those were just types and shadows pointing to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But listen, Jesus didn't simply die for your sins. He was raised victorious over your sins. Three days later, God raised him from the dead, defeating death, defeating hell, defeating the grave. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It was conquered by our Jesus who overcame, rose victorious over death and the hell and the grave. And honestly, that he says that he grants all of those who repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in his finished work and his sinless life and his vicarious resurrection and his finished work on the cross that you will be saved. There is no other name given under heaven and earth whereby you must be saved. And he calls us to repent of our sins, which means to go, I recognize that I'm sinful and I recognize that my sin is an affront to God and I want to, I want to turn away from those things. I need forgiveness of those things that I can't make myself right on my own. And repentance says, I know I'm guilty before you, God, and I need the righteousness of Jesus imputed, given to me. And that is what Paul talks about when he talks about the great exchange, that Jesus took all our sins on the cross and, and, and gave us all of his righteousness. It's the great exchange. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world that Jesus would take your stupid sins and my stupid sins and give us all of his uh, perfect righteousness. I stand perfectly righteous before God, not because of anything on my own, but because of the precious blood of Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you stand perfectly sinless in front of God because you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're depending on anything else other than the precious blood of Jesus, the life, death, victorious resurrection of Jesus, you're depending on anything else. You go, well, yeah, but I do good works. If you're depending on any of those for your salvation, you're depending on something that is not, uh, that the scripture tells us is not about uh, uh, Jesus and his resurrection. Are there good works we do? Yes, that's down the road. That's, that's from our salvation. But none of our good works make us righteous with God. They show that we know Jesus, but it doesn't, that it doesn't help. We don't get any, anything from those things that, that count toward our salvation. Jesus is the risen king who conquered hell and the grave. Oh, sinner. Oh, sir. Oh, man, listen. We urge you today, just as Paul talked about, he said, for as for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my, opening my mouth to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I urge you to believe the gospel today, to come to Jesus today. Just like God has been saving people left and right here, I urge you to do the same thing. Amen? Hallelujah. It is the gospel that Jesus sends us with 
It is the gospel that we proclaim every week at the Refuge Church. It is the gospel that we send you out every week as missionaries to proclaim to other people. The gospel is the fact that Jesus saves and rescues sinners. And finally, Paul says uh, this in verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I, may declare it, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so Paul was an ambassador in chains. If you remember whenever we first started this, I came out in a prison uniform to remind us that Paul was under house arrest. And that he was writing this from a house arrest whenever he wrote this, to the, this letter to the churches at Ephesus. Yet he still proclaimed the gospel boldly. And listen to me. You and I, if you're a Christian, are, st- are also ambassadors of the gospel. You are an ambassador. You are sent on behalf of another with the good news that Jesus rescues sinners. It is a privilege to represent the King of Kings. We have a purpose as we are an ambassador for the King of Kings. And we, are, we, have, a, uh, we are, uh, uh, have a message to proclaim. It's a story about a king who rescues his people that we preach every week here at the Refuge. You've heard it said before that the gospel is a message and when necessary, use words. I'm going to tell you, the gospel is a message, so use words. Let me just tell you, people ain't going to look at your life and go, oh, well, look at them. I think I'll become a Christian. The gospel is a message that you must declare to people. You must declare that Jesus rescues sinners. You must declare to people that they should repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm declaring this to you today. You come to Jesus by repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in Jesus, and we call you to that very thing today. So church, we are in the middle of a spiritual awakening and breakthrough that we've been praying for for a long time. We're just in the middle of it. We love seeing what God is doing. And I pray that you won't miss out on God using you as an ambassador with this same good news. This same gospel that I just declared to you, you have been given that same message to go and declare to others. You'll declare it to people that I'll never get a chance to proclaim it to. You'll get a chance to declare it to people that none of your other elders will get a chance to declare it to. Because they'll listen to you and they won't listen to a preacher man. Call people to follow Jesus and watch the Spirit Do a great work. And we'll invite you to do the same thing today. I'm inviting you, if you're outside the household of faith, you're not yet a believer, or maybe you think you've been, and suddenly the Spirit is awakening you to the fact that you're not following Jesus yet, we're calling you to follow Jesus today. Become a Christian today. And so some of you are hearing that for the first time. So we urge you to become a Christian. We urge you to fight your sin, repent of your sin, and trust in Jesus. Come to Jesus today. Our pastors are about to be in the back of the room. And so we're going to invite you as we take communion in just a few moments to come and talk to us about what it means to be a Christian. Today can be your day to follow Jesus. Let's do that after we pray.